RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. We are at RPG LL Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, RPGLLPodcast at gmail.com, and check us out online at RPGLessonsLearned.com. Hi, welcome to RPG Lessons Learned, the show where you can learn from our mistakes. With me today is Mike. Hey, Dusty. So, if Mike sounds like he's recording from a tropical rainforest today, that's because Mike is joining us from the lush and beautiful country of Brazil. Or at least the the closest facsimile to it you can get in North Carolina. Um, we're still rearranged for uh, holiday living capacity, so uh, the birds are camping out with me in my office so that we can make room for, for some sleeping space downstairs. So uh, once we get the house back in, in normal shape, yep, there, there they are right now. Yep. Uh, once we get the house back in normal shape, hopefully the bird sound will be reduced. So I will try for this recording to, uh, to keep it as minimal as possible. People pay good money, Mike, for bird sounds and thunderstorms and all that stuff um, for white noise to sleep at night. There's all those albums, sounds of the rainforest, sounds of the thunderstorms. I think we, I think it's a feature, not a bug. I think people pay good money for like sweet bird sounds and, and not Marley's, you know, hell screams. You know, <laughs> Charlie, Charlie makes sweet little tweets and chirps, and he sings little songs, and people could pay a premium for that. But but Marley just screams at you, so. Uh, so that's that's the hard part. Got it. So today we're talking about the second session in the Fortress of the Iron Duke dungeon that we played in the basic fantasy role-playing game or BFRPG. And I'm just going to jump right in and say this was a pretty rough session. So why don't we start out with the numerical ratings? Mike, would you like to go first? I'm uh, I'm just going to go ahead and call it a three, and I'm going to say it with a three of the caveat, right? I, I don't think there's anything wrong with this adventure. I don't think there's anything wrong with dungeon. I think if if you like dungeon crawls and and you like this type of adventure, it's a fantastic game. There's lots to explore. There's lots to do. It's a well-designed dungeon for so far that we've played it. I think for me personally, the biggest thing was... I'm not super excited about doing a dungeon crawl right now because I really want to get super excited into our castles and crusades and actual play campaign. Um, so I think there was more appetite for that than there is a dungeon crawl. And uh, for this session itself, we we only had a very small amount of time to play. So that always kind of makes it feel like not such a great game. I'll go ahead and give it a four. I had a lot of fun with the narration. I had a lot of fun making sure combat was interesting. I had a lot of fun with the monsters who who sprang up quickly and were very threatening and then died very quickly. It was it was dramatic, but it wasn't terribly story driven. And I could tell that you guys weren't engaged. Uh, I'll echo what you say about there's nothing wrong with the adventure. It's purely the mode of play that we're in right now. And let's go ahead and jump into one thing that you alluded to. So we had a late start. One player was 45 minutes late, and then we also had a hard stop. Another player had to leave at 8, and we sort of stretched that almost to 8.30. So we played for just a little over an hour, and this is our game night. This is our bi-weekly game night that we try to hold sacred and, and, and play, and we had a little over an hour thanks to a late stop and a hard, a late start and a hard stop. Mike, man... What should I have done differently? Should I have just started the game and, and the late player can just catch up? What should I have done differently here? 
You know, that's that's a really hard call for this session because we do love to gab about non-work things before we really get started. So on one hand, it was kind of nice to have that time to gab about non-work things and catch up on life things and how everybody's doing. On the other hand, we did lose a significant chunk of playtime. I think with the gift of hindsight, once we found out that we had a hard stop at eight, in hindsight, I would have said started early. So maybe in the future, if we know one player is going to be late, ask around the table as soon as we know that lateness is going to happen if there's a hard stop for another player. If there is a hard stop, then definitely go ahead and start the game. Um, but I think when we found out that the one player was going to be late, we were kind of like, okay, well, we'll just make up for it, stay a little late until we get to a point where we want to stop, and then that couldn't happen too. And because of the limited time that we had, we made really limited progress as well. Fortress of the Iron Duke. Let me echo what I said in our previous episode about this adventure. This is my favorite dungeon crawl. It's one of my favorite adventures. Like I think Dusk is my very favorite adventure. Um, this is my favorite BFRPG adventure, and I love BFRPG. I was really looking forward to tearing through this dungeon with you guys. I, I, I was thinking in the mode of like a couple of four-hour sessions where we really can bite off a lot and chew it and you know get into this lengthy dungeon crawl as a palate cleanser. But I was thinking of it as like two sessions, two four-ish hour sessions is how I was conceptualizing it. It's just not what happened. So with only an hour, we did make some progress. We did clear four rooms. We had a couple of pretty decent fights. We did have two plot clues that we uncovered, but we didn't get any, any hidden rooms. There was no meaningful meaningful plot that was uncovered. So let me just go ahead and ask, were you engaged at any point in this adventure, Mike? Yeah, I'd say with the with the combat encounters themselves, they were they were fairly engaging, right? So kinda like you said earlier, it's it's monsters pop up fast, monsters die fast. There's you know, we, we do the the stealthy thing, the rogue thing to start the encounter. We smash heads, and then we move on to the next room. So I think within the encounters themselves, they are engaging. I think probably what I was having the trouble with most in the dungeon crawl is that there wasn't enough narrative, right? So in the the the, the four rooms we cleared this time, and like the four rooms we cleared in the first session, we only really got a tiny, tiny hint of plot in, like, one of the rooms that we've cleared so far. So, I mean, thinking about the size of this dungeon, right? So we've got two maps. I haven't even really counted the size of the rooms. So I guess if you'd have to guess how many combat encounters are in this dungeon, you know, what's what's that volume of combat encounters? Or what's the ratio of combat encounters to, to plot development right and then we get into the whole hidden rooms you know the only reason we know there's hidden rooms is because you kind of revealed that at the first session i've been working extra hard to not made a game that in these two sessions and i've seen nothing in any of these rooms so far that would indicate there was a hidden room so i think that's that's kind of a difficult point too right there's 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 no clue that any of these rooms are hidden there's there's no breezes there's no creeks there's no you know random gusts of wind. So I I think I'm probably having the most trouble engaging with the plot of the dungeon itself. So Fortress of the Iron Duke 
It's got 60-ish rooms. Uh, there's a combat encounter in most of those rooms, plus a few wandering monster encounters. So call it, you know, 60-plus combat encounters. It's an expansive dungeon. There is a story there. There are clues there. There is stuff you can figure out. We just haven't gotten far enough in roughly two and a half-ish hours of play. I'd say we're closer to maybe four, right? Because wasn't our first session about two and a half, almost three hours? I, I'm pretty sure that we had a hard stop. I, okay. just, I distinctly remember Brian having a hard stop at eight. You may be right. And I know for this one there was a hard stop at eight. I couldn't remember for the first one. Yep. Well, yeah, for the first one there was as well. So we've had two hard stops in this game. Uh, so no, we're, we're, at most, we're at most three and a half hours in. So let's do the math on that. How many total rooms have we cleared in this dungeon so far? Is it closer to eight? So out of 60 things to do, let's say we've cleared 10. Because that first day, you you guys did a lot. Yep. So you are one-sixth of the way through the adventure. And that's in three hours? Two hours? Yeah, so if there's 60 potential encounters... Yeah, I don't think I don't think the math adds up on that, right? That's that's way more than eight total hours. So, and I'll say this too: when we got together to play, we we, we just this last week, we were looking at running a third session of the Iron Duke, and Mike said, "Let's go ahead and play the Iron Duke, but let's make sure we finish it up." And I was like, "Mike." There's no way. And I pull out the two maps, and I'm like, here are the rooms that you've been to. Here are all the other rooms. There's no way. You you are less than a quarter of the way through, and, and your math here bears that out because we're about a sixth of, of the way through. So that's when we decided, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and skip to the, to, to the point. In our last game last week, we had the maps, the character sheets, and everything out to run the Fortress of the Iron Duke, and we called an audible and said, you know what? We're abandoning this. We are abandoning this dungeon, and we're abandoning this adventure. It's just not right for us right now at this moment. So, any thoughts on that, Mike? Yeah, I, I think we've gotten really used to uh, to kind of bite-sized chunks, like even in a greater campaign, right? So, like, thinking back to our Pathfinder campaign, there were only a few sections of that campaign that that went multiple sessions most everything was was episodic right so one session was one episode and i think we've gotten really used to that and i think kind of trying to extend it over multiple sessions i think that's that's probably what i'm having a little trouble with because that that, that's where it starts to feel a little bit belabored right so if if you can chunk something out in episodes where there's there's kind of a logical start stop in in this session of the greater campaign i think that probably makes it feel a little more a little more fluid right yeah that makes sense and abandoning stuff's hard I'll say that too. This was not a, a decision that we made lightly. We were all sitting around the table, looking at each other, really reluctant to call the ball on this abandonment. It, it really sucked for me to abandon the maps that I put so much work into because I, I drew these maps on poster board. I used the UV markers or the UV reactive markers to draw the hidden rooms. So it sucks to, to do that. I had done all this preparation with the character sheets and you know generating these, you know 
fleshing out, I should say, these pre-generated characters into character sheets the guys could just pick up and use to make it really an easy game to drop in as a palate cleanser, so it was hard to abandon all that. I printed out the adventure and gotten all the checkboxes right so I could check off hit points and check off rooms and, and make sure that I was tracking our progress through the dungeon. I did a lot of work to make this a really smooth dungeon crawl for me to run, and by the way, it was. This was so easy to run. And it was fun to run. It just wasn't fun to play. So it wasn't a great time, and it's tough to abandon projects. Mike, at work, how many times have we seen a project that no one understands why we're doing this keep going? Too, 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 too many times. Too many times. No one wants to kill things that shouldn't exist. No one wants to kill a work effort that shouldn't exist. Um, Dude, as a voracious reader in... Middle school, I had to learn this lesson. I, I read, I first got into ch- to so-called chapter books um, in the fourth grade, read voraciously all through middle school, fell in love with a bunch of authors, Michael Crichton, um, several others, and read a ton of stuff. And then I got around to some books that I just didn't like, and I found myself slugging through them. And I found myself kind of abandoning the hobby of reading. And it took a moment for me to say, you know, and I remember the book that did it, by the way. The book that did it, I don't remember the author, so apologies to the author if you ever listened to this. Spoiler alert, he won't. Whoever adapted Batman Forever into a novelization, I tried to read that novelization, and this is at a time when I read everything. If I started a book, I finished it, period. And I was a couple pages in, and I was like, you know what? Some books just don't deserve to be finished. And it's not to say the book is awful. It's to say that the book is awful for me. And that was a huge lesson I needed to learn. That's a lesson I think a lot of us who play D&D need to learn. Sometimes it's okay to say, ah, you know what? This isn't fun, and we're spending time on it. Let's spend our time elsewhere. I just Google searched who did the novelization of Batman Forever, and that author is Peter David. So if there are any Peter David fans out there or somehow Peter David stumbles upon this, you know, give him a shout out. He did a good job. So, Mike, holy crap, I'm a Peter David fan. There you go. Peter David started. He wrote one of my favorite um, Star Trek novels. And holy crap, am am I geeking out now? Imzadi, which is kind of this love story between Riker and Troy. And it explores, you know, pre-Star Trek when they met and then post-Star Trek in this alternate future. It's, it's this interesting story that revolves around the love story between Riker and Troy. Peter David wrote that. I love that book. That's an awesome book. So I'm not saying Peter David's a terrible writer. I'm saying that that book at that time was the wrong thing for me. I, I just thought of something else. Um not related to, to Batman novelizations or abandoning projects. But uh, I think one of the reasons I personally struggled with this dungeon crawl that I wasn't feeling connected to it or hyped about it is that there's there's nothing in a dungeon crawl to, to get you a feel for that character, right? So we started this dungeon crawl with brand new pre-gen characters, and there's there's no NPCs to interact with. There's there's really no hook into this other than go into the dungeon and figure out what's wrong. So I think for me, it felt like I was basically just moving a pawn on a board game, and there there wasn't any RP aspect to it. And I think 
I think for me, at least, that's probably where I had the biggest problem with this dungeon crawl, is there just wasn't a chance to, to develop a character. Yeah, that begs the question. Have we, as a group, just outgrown dungeons? I don't know if we've outgrown them. I I wonder if there's a chance to do a dungeon crawl in a longer ongoing campaign. So so once we've kind of gotten to know and build our characters, once we feel comfortable in that character's skin and figure out, you know, what they would do and how they would act and what decisions they would make, then put those characters into a dungeon and see how those characters handle that dungeon. That's fair. So it feels less like pawns on a board. Yeah, and the pawns on a board is a great metaphor. What you're making me think about are, are video games. And I've got Surprise, surprise for our audience, a couple of video game analogies <laughs> that I want to explore with you. The first is one that we briefly discussed before we started recording, and that is uh, games like Fate, games that procedurally generate these dungeons. And I've never found those games even mildly interesting, because when I play an RPG, the mechanics of combat and treasure and inventory management and all of that stuff. That stuff is a means to an end, and that end is the story. You know, I love the Final Fantasy games. You know, the ones that I love, I'm not going to get into which numbers that is, but it's 8 and 7. And people have different strong feelings about Final Fantasy. I played those games for the story. I played Fantasy Star for the story. I played Shining Force for the story. And all the inventory management and treasure management and experience point grinding that I did was so that I could get to that next cutscene. Playing a procedurally generated dungeon crawl that emphasizes just those mechanics that for me are a means to an end, I can just never get behind that. And and this sort of reminded me of that. Any thoughts there, Mike? Yeah, I'd agree with that. So I think if maybe there was like a light version of this dungeon crawl, right? So so take those 60 encounters and keep the ones that, that drive the plot and drive the, the narration behind what happened in this dungeon and what we need to fix in this dungeon. I think if there's a light version of that, then that that would be quality time well spent. But uh, but yeah, so far it just felt kind of like, well, here's another room, kill the monsters. All right, here's another room, kill the monsters. Yeah, so maybe a version where I kept all the same rooms and I kept all the same clues, but perhaps a majority of the rooms were empty because as fun as it was to have that fight with the rats that had eaten all the spoiled food and then to have the fight in the neighboring room with the cobras that were killing the rats... And as much as that was kind of a fun thing to say, oh, look what's been happening in this abandoned fortress, none of that added a damn thing to the plot. Right. You you had two combat encounters just to say, look, this fortress was abandoned mid-meal. Yeah, and we could have gotten that if I would just narrated, hey, you hear mice in the corner, maybe you hear the hiss of a snake, you, you know that some things have invaded here, but there's no reason to put you in combat with a cobra. Yeah, I feel like the first real piece of the plot we got was that room with the the land octopus in it, where the where the people were, you know, the the living statues. I think that that was the first time it really piqued my interest in the dungeon. But I kind of thought, man, it took us like ten encounters to even get a hint of what's going on here. How long is it going to take us? 
to kind of get through to the big bad or whatever's in control here. And then how anticlimactic is that going to be, right? If it really is just one big bad controlling and we kill him and break the spell and that resolves the whole thing. Yes, I just wasn't feeling it. So here's the second video game analogy I was going to make. When you said the thing about how this is totally agnostic of your characters and you feel like you're moving pieces on a board, the second analogy that came to mind is, look, this adventure is like, or any dungeon crawl adventure, it's like getting a script to a video game. It's like having the script to Borderlands in front of you as a paper book. And I'm running that for you guys at the table. The NPCs are interesting, and they have stories, and the plot threads connect, and you have to go find clues and do quests to put the pieces together. That's all true. But that all exists totally independently from your character. In Borderlands, whether you play as the assassin or the soldier or the, the, the gun lugger or whatever those other classes are, it doesn't matter. The story is the same. The NPCs are the same. And I think I think that's boring for you guys as a group now. Would you agree with that? I would absolutely agree with that, yeah. But man, I don't want to bust in the Fortress of the Iron Duke because I I love it. I, there's something about it that I love. It's my favorite map. The, the story is interesting. I just really like it. I love your idea, Mike, and, and now hindsight 2020, I totally regret it. I wish I had gone through this adventure just X'd out a ton of the combat, maybe maybe uh, 80% of the combat to leave behind just 20%. Leave all the rooms, leave all the clues, but change the cobra to you see a snake in the corner choking down a rat. You see some rats in the corner and they scurry away as you walk in the room. There's no reason to fight rats. There's no reason to fight a snake. There was really no reason to fight the tentacle worm, or as you call it, the land octopus. I, I should have just dumped all of that. And I think it would have been a great adventure. It would have been the palate cleanser that I wanted. We would have finished it in two sessions and I wouldn't have these regrets. I don't think it's too late, right? Because I think the other day we said, you know, keep it, put it on a back burner somewhere. Maybe if we need a break in this upcoming campaign, we can revisit it. And maybe that gives you a chance to kind of make it that light version that instead of 60 encounters, it's like 25. Yeah, that's fair. I'm going to do that. We will revisit this at some point, but but not for a while. Not for a while. All right. Let's conclude this episode, Mike. So in conclusion, I talked, I've been talking recently about be an interventionist GM. If you recognize that something's not fun, just go ahead and stop it. Don't chase it out of some dogged persistence. There's no reason to. This is spare time people are investing. And and show your appreciation and your respect for that by choosing to invest in things that work. And then, like we just did on this episode, holy crap, we've, we've diagnosed the issue. We've posited possible solutions. We'll revisit this in the future. We wouldn't have had that opportunity if I would have doggedly kept trying to run this adventure until we were done just because we have to finish the things we start, which is not the way you want to run your hobby. Mike? Absolutely. I think the other thing to add there, too, is is if you had continued running through this dungeon doggedly, unerringly, you know, however you want to approach it, 
I probably would have started trying to sabotage the game, right? So at some point, I would have gotten frustrated that the the plot wasn't moving forward or that more clues for the secret rooms weren't coming open or, or more clues for what actually was happening here. So I would have absolutely started metagaming this and, you know, pushing all the walls and, you know, doing like we did for the Tomb of Horrors, breaking out the hammer and the chisel and chipping away at the facade on every hallway just to, to get to the, to the core of the puzzle. You just start carving your path straight back through regardless of walls. Yeah, exactly. yeah there's, there's a door right here. Uh, too bad. I'm breaking through this wall right here. That's going to yep. take you, clatter, clatter, dice, six hours. Fine. All right, done. Yeah. Yep. Fast forward six hours. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, don't put your players in a position where they feel like they have to do that. Um, Mike, is this another case of no gaming being better than bad gaming? I think so, right? Because the, the whole thing is, is everyone's investment of the time. So I think the the investment of time into a bad time where people maybe aren't having great fun is certainly worse than just not doing it. Yeah. And and, in a world full of great gaming ideas, to your point, don't waste your time on a bad one. There's so many adventures I want to run looking around at my shelves right now. There's so many things I want to run. So if this is going off the rails, great effort. Let's, let's throw it off the rails and put something else on the rails that will hopefully run better. All right, that is RPG Lessons Learned this week. A uh, bit more disorganized. We, we discovered a way to fix the adventure uh, right here as we discussed. Um, the takeaway is don't be afraid to recognize that something's going poorly and go really far outside the box in thinking about how you can correct it or decide it's simply not worth your time to correct it, at least not in the moment. Do something else, and maybe you'll get an idea to correct it later. Maybe you don't. If we hadn't come up with this idea to correct this adventure in, in this podcast recording right now, I would have been perfectly fine to leave this in the dust um, and possibly never pick it up again because I'd rather move on to fun games. So respect everyone's time at the table and put your best out there. Hey, thank you for listening. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them lessons learned, and we're sharing ours with you.